0: Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. Nick here. Uh, if you're new joining us, um, lead pastor at Mercy Hill, happy to uh, bring you God's word uh, week in and week out. Um, if you are tuning into what we're doing now, the Sunday service watch parties online, uh, 10 a.m. Sundays. If you're tuning in for that, uh, did just want to personally also kind of uh, piggyback on what Christine said and and ask you, please, uh, in that little chat spot say hi to the church. Let us know you're here. I think I said it last week, but um, we don't actually really know who's engaged uh, until you say you're there. Um, So say hi, let others know that you're here checking it out as well. And again, like she said, we'd love to um, hear any scriptures that come to your heart, questions you have that we may be able to address a little later in the after party, stuff like that. So uh, hope hope that you find this platform's been engaging and and, and fun for you as as it's been kind of encouraging for, for us as well. Um, I'm going to be getting us into God's Word here uh, momentarily. Let me at least just try to introduce kind of where we're at. So, last week was Easter, um, and I had, a, I had a wonderful time with you all. This week, actually, we're going to be kind of wrapping back uh, onto something I began the week before Easter. Uh, we've been in this series uh, entitled, Do Not Be Afraid, where I have been kind of just dropping into texts throughout the Scriptures where God issues this command or, or something similar to it, uh, do not be afraid. And there are a lot to choose from. As I've been saying, it is the uh, most frequent command in all the Bible. So, just been able to stop in Genesis and Deuteronomy and uh, other places this morning. Uh, we're going to wrap back around uh, and, and do a part two on what I looked at um, before Easter. And we're in uh, Philippians 4. This morning, verses four through nine, Um, no doubt, I think, for those of you who, you know, uh, know your Bibles, uh, when this coronavirus thing started going down and uh, you're probably feeling the, the pressure, the heat, the temptation towards anxiety, No doubt, a lot of you probably almost immediately uh, ran to this text in Philippians 4 for shelter, for refuge. Um, Christians throughout history have been fleeing to this text we're going to reflect on this morning for refuge in times of trouble. Um, It's been refuge for them, and it's refuge for us as well here today. So what I want to do is read this text um, pray, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into what we have for the morning. This is Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. I believe actually in that online platform, there's a, a little Bible uh, tab that you can actually follow along with me there if you want, or you can just open up your Bibles at home. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So would you pray with me? Lord, right now, we admit we have been we have been tempted. Uh, we've been inclined towards anxiety. Uh, in our hearts, uh, we find a strange mixture of, 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 of panic and fear. And, and Lord, we know that uh, you are true. We know that you are good. But sometimes in the middle of the sort of chaos around us, that we see with our eyes, we, we, we lose sight of you. And we fear. Um, we fear getting lost in it all, we fear things falling apart, we fear uh, breaking down, God, we, we get anxious. And right now, I pray, uh, God, that you would use your word um, to restore your peace to us. Uh, If there's one thing I think that we all could agree we need in these moments more than perhaps anything else, it's the peace of God that surpasses understanding uh, to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That is what we want, not just to talk about, but to experience, to know deeply. And so, Lord, I, I just am asking you, use this message, use your word. Come, Holy Spirit, and and make these things a reality for us afresh here today. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Okay, so you probably saw um, there in verse 6 the command that really ties this text um, to the sermon series. Um, Verse 6 there, Paul kind of continues on in his thought and says, Do not be anxious. And I said, I think last time, while this isn't technically do not be afraid, uh, do not be anxious is is certainly a close cousin. Right. It it essentially means the very same thing. And what we gather um, when we look closely at Paul's flow of thought in these verses is that he's clearly actually trying to move us from a place of anxiety to a place of peace. Though he talks about anxiety, and that kind of stands in the background, really what we come to understand is that the goal and the focus of all of these verses is actually him trying to move us towards peace, the peace of God, and, 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 and into an experience uh, with the God of peace. So we see in verse 7, he speaks of the peace of God, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he wraps back around again in verse 9 and speaks of the God of peace, Who is with us. So, Paul is wanting to take you and I on a journey this morning. He's wanting to uh, help us move from that place where anxiety seems to have its strong grip on our hearts. He's wanting to move us from that place to a place where we're experiencing uh, God's peace. And here's what's awesome about this text, and here's why I wanted to focus on it even for two weeks. A lot of times um, when we get in the midst of kind of anxiety and fear and panic, those sorts of experiences uh, can be very disorienting. They can be very disruptive. Sometimes it's, it's hard enough to even like Get your breath or take the next breath, let alone know what you have to do to move from that place of anxiety to peace. A lot of times we don't know what up or down is in those moments. We don't know our left from our right in those moments. Anxiety has this way of of disrupting and disorienting us. And so what's great about Philippians 4 is Paul is not just saying, hey, I wish you'd get from anxiety to a place of peace. He's actually showing us how to do it. He's showing us what I've called a a pathway, a clear sort of step-by-step, and I'll try to bring that out for us, pathway towards peace. And this is why um, the title of these two messages has been, Do Not Be Afraid, Peace Has a pathway. There's a, there's a clear way out. You're not just a victim to it and I guess, well, we'll just kind of hold on until it subsides. There are things that we can do even now, even this morning, that will help us move towards the peace of God. I'm going to bring those out for us. Um, as far as I can tell, Paul identifies three steps along this pathway. Um, step number one, pray. And that's what you see there, especially in verse 6. Step number two, ponder. And that's what is brought out there in verse eight in particular. And then step number three, practice. And that's what we'll see in in verse nine especially. Now, last time we looked at the first one and a half steps essentially. Um, And we're going to kind of press on in the rest of it here soon. But I actually did, and I hope you'll forgive me, I wanted to give a pretty decent review of what we looked at last time, just because, you know what, in times like these, I think, man, we're not going to, it's not going to uh, hurt us to remember afresh uh, what these <laughs> steps are that help us get out of anxiety towards peace. So um, we'll make our way to new content, but I want to kind of review a little bit with you uh, the first step and a half or so. Okay, so step number one um, is pray, pray, pray. On this last time, I I really drew our attention first to the fact that you and I, whether we're aware of it or not, are always talking. Um, And by this, I'm not referring to the external, you know, jibber jabber of our mouths necessarily, but we're always talking internally within ourselves. We're thinking about what am I going to do here? What am I going to say there? What if this happens? What if that happens? We have this sort of inner sort of monologue going on where we're just always kind of chittering and and chattering to ourselves within ourselves, interpreting things, thinking about things, planning things. And what I said last time is that this can often kind of, uh, this monologue can often kind of fold in on itself and almost create this kind of feedback loop. Uh, What I specifically refer to it as is, is the frequency of fret. There's this almost like low-grade anxiety, this frequency of fret that's going on. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. It just becomes our normal. It's just kind of like our background music, our background noise, so to speak. But what Paul is saying here is that um, such a thing kind of marauds our peace. It, it robs us of peace, and we need to do something about it. It doesn't need to be this way. We, we don't have to kind of cave in on ourselves in this way. And so the question then, naturally, is well, what can we do about it? What do we do about this inner monologue that's kind of always running and trending towards anxiety and panic and fear or whatever it may be? Well, Paul gives us the answer really in verse six, but the way I've put it, uh, not just in last time's sermon, but even before, is we need to turn the inner monologue to dialogue. We need to take this sort of monologue that's always running, and and it's gonna be hard to first even identify it, but then to pull away from kind of that, that feedback loop and actually push it out and upwards to God so that that monologue turns into a dialogue with my creator, redeemer, friend, father, so that now all of a sudden it's not just me kind of talking to myself, it's me in conversation with the God of the universe, the God who loves me, the God who can actually help and reveal and speak and bring peace, right? Now, um, one of the things that I have seen is, is, is we kind of are, are prone to this orphan mentality, right? Where orphans know that no one is um, looking out for them. So they are, uh, therefore, uh, by necessity almost, Uh, needing to kind of look into themselves, look to themselves to figure it out. I've got to figure out where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, because no one else is going to do that for me. But the Christian, the Christian, though we can fall into the orphan mentality, we've been adopted into the family of God, given the Spirit, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit teaches us to Turn that monologue to dialogue, and God himself invites us, even in our text here, to bring every care and every concern to him. He wants to be burdened with what burdens us. So verse 6 in particular, let me read it. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And we look at that and we go, man, that's pie in the sky. That's idealistic. There's no way that's possible. How in the world can we not be anxious about anything? Well, his first step, if you will, towards peace, away from anxiety is, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So The only way not to be anxious about anything, according to Paul, is to talk to God about Everything, turn that little monologue you're having about whatever it is you're worried about right now. What's going on with my business? What's going on with my relationship? What's what am I going to do if this? You know, uh, uh, if they decide that this shelter in place is going to go on for another couple weeks or couple months, or what's going to happen with this? Turn that monologue and those things that you're worried about to dialogue, and start burdening God with it. He cares. He wants to hear. He wants to help. So I wonder. Um, having talked about this a couple weeks ago, I wonder how you've been doing with it. I wonder if you've been tuning in a little bit more to that frequency of fret and and turning it outward towards God. Um, I hope maybe you've been seeing a little bit more of that taking place in your own heart, but I just encourage you. man. What has been going on? Consider it. Um, Have you been turning the monologue to dialogue? Now, that's step number one. Um, Step number two really kind of dovetails right into that, builds upon it, and and takes us really another step closer to the peace that we're all so desperately longing for. So step number two now is this idea of ponder. So pray, now ponder. And here's where we come to realize that praying in and of itself is is not enough. Uh, In some ways, really, it can actually just exacerbate our anxiety. Uh, If all we're doing when we're praying is kind of sounding off in God's presence, it's still just like this unidirectional, hey, I'm just telling you what's up. But there's no sense of actually wanting dialogue, meaning I talk, you talk. (laughs) If that's not happening, if all we're doing is just kind of venting in God's presence, then it's not going to necessarily help us move towards peace. But what has to happen if we're going to kind of take that next step as we move from praying to pondering. We move from praying to pondering. And, and and what I mean, and we'll kind of build this out, but what I'm really kind of saying here is that we need to not only lament to God, but but we learn to listen to him as well. Uh, we, we not only give him our tears, but we learn to give him our ears, we not only open up our mouths and our hearts and pour some of this stuff out, we also open up our Bibles. And we read and we let God into the situation, we let him speak. In fact, we're interested in it, we're desiring to hear not just God, hear me, I've got a big beef, but God, you speak now. Okay, I've said my piece. I've I've unburdened myself in your presence. Now you put this back together. Show me what is true. Show me what is good. Show me what is right. Show me where to go. Show me what to do. You speak now. We need to let him take us from praying to pondering. There's this interesting thing where as we go about praying, if we are truly, in fact, open to dialogue with God in this way, as we go about kind of pouring our hearts out to Him in prayer, one of the things that God will do with us is He'll start to kind of pierce through the frequency of fret and we'll, we'll, we'll catch kind of the, 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 the sound of another channel. He'll kind of turn the dial, as it were, and we'll start to hear another voice. We'll start to hear His voice. We'll start to uh, see some of that static subside and He starts to speak uh, to us in the middle of it it's incredible we begin talking that's maybe first step in this pathway right pray but we end up uh, when it's all said and done listening we end up a little bit quieter we end up uh in this posture of of, of quiet before god listening to him, we begin by burdening him with all of our crushing anxieties, but in return, he ends up giving us all of his buoyant, life-lifting promises. So we start rolling things onto him, and he starts lifting us up. We pour out stuff to him, but then he begins pouring into us. He leads us from what is scary and worrisome to what is good. And what is true? And that's what Paul really identifies for us next in verse eight, which is where uh, really this idea of pondering is brought out in particular. So let me read it. Uh, He says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, that's where I'm getting the idea, think about. These things. Now, I I just asked you to consider how you've been doing with step number one, right? And and, and praying. Uh, Have you been turning that monologue to dialogue? But I wonder now if you'd permit me to ask you another question. Uh, I'd love for you to, to take inventory of your thoughts. Tell me what you find. Uh, Take inventory of where you've been setting your mind, of what you've been pondering, of what you've been thinking about. Uh, Has it been what is lovely and pure and commendable, or has it been kind of spinning off? And you can see how the two, praying and pondering, relate, right? Because if you haven't been praying, uh, you're probably not pondering about anything worthy of praise at all. You're probably experiencing that feedback loop I'm talking about. But if you have been praying, I wonder if you've been experiencing God helping you, kind of setting your minds, setting the roots of your mind, as it were, into the soil of his word, his promises, his truth. Um, now again, Paul is going to try to help us here. He, he's going to try to help us move from, from uh, prayer to now pondering. And uh, we're, we need to first kind of try to identify what um, Paul is even referring to here, when he if you notice, probably in the way I even read it, you're like, man, how many words are there? He just keeps piling words, like what is true, and what is just, and, and what is worthy of praise. and He just keeps piling on words, and we need to make sure we understand what exactly is he referring to. Well, in a general sense, uh, he's probably referring to the, just the, the sturdy realities of God and his word, right? So the things that are good and true and and just and pure and worthy of praise, these would be things, that's why I said you need to not just open up your lips but open up your Bible. These are gonna be things that we see in God's word. That's just kind of generally what I think he's probably referring to. But then we uh, could probably go even a little bit further and drill down a little bit deeper. And um, I mentioned last time how Paul really gives this exhortation to think about things such as these uh, at the tail end of a letter Uh, to these Philippians where he has essentially expounded uh, uh, these sorts of things for them to consider. So in my mind, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking the, the clue is in the context. I think Paul, when he says, think about these sorts of things, and we're trying to say, what sorts of things are those? He probably has uppermost in his mind, all the stuff I've just been writing to you about. All the truths I've just unfolded in this whole letter. Think about those things. Don't look out and start going left or right with all of your worries and spiraling out. Center your hearts and your minds on these things that I have been revealing to you from God. And this begs the question. So what sorts of of sturdy realities can we draw out from the book of Philippians? Uh, I want to I make this practical for us. I want to show us a few things at least. I mean, there's much more we could do with the book of Philippians, but this isn't a sermon series on the book, right? I'm going to bring out three things that I think, man, we can tether the anchor of our souls to, and we will find peace in the fiercest storms. We hold there. We set the roots down there. We will be okay. Now, last week, I, I brought out the first one, and that was namely that we are essentially wrapped. We're wrapped up safe uh, in, in the sovereign, gr- uh, sovereign grace of God, uh, that God, in essence, has his arms around us. I got this from Philippians one six, where he says, listen, the God who began a good work in you by grace is going to bring it to completion in the end. He's not going to let you go. Now You set your mind on that. And all of a sudden you may find that I am taking steps towards peace. I, things aren't as chaotic and crazy as they may appear because God has me. I'm wrapped up in the arms of the Almighty. His grace is upon me, with me. But now we need to move from this to really the second and third of these uh, sturdy, stable realities that I think Paul brings out in Philippians, and I, I wanted to, to uh, help us as well. So sturdy reality number two, I am counted righteous in Christ. I'm not only wrapped up in the arms of of sovereign grace, I am also counted righteous in Christ. Uh, So for this one, I am thinking of Philippians 3 in particular, where uh, Paul just abominates. He just jettisons his own sense of self-righteousness and and glories and, and celebrates Uh, um, he glories in the righteousness of Christ that is now his by faith. Um, So if you turn kind of Philippians three, I think it's I'm going to pick it up in verses seven and nine. But really, after Paul recounts kind of um, what he used to take confidence in uh, his own ethnicity, his own knowledge, his own religious zeal, his own morality. After kind of recounting all that stuff that he used to think made him awesome, he turns and says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Remember, I'm going to try to show you how setting your mind on things like this will lead you to the place of God's so think with me for a moment. I wonder if you've ever tried to justify yourself by anything other than Christ. My sense is that you've you've probably experienced the bait and switch of it all. And here's what I mean: uh, we will try to kind of prove our worth prove our value, prove our righteousness by one standard or another. And and, and it never ends up working. It never ends up moving us towards uh, even justification, let alone peace. In fact, it kind of steals, robs from us. It's this bait and switch sort of thing. So for Paul, uh, but let's think about this for a moment. What sorts of ways might we be trying to justify ourselves? What other standards other than Give me Christ, and that's all I need. Uh, Might we be looking to use or leverage to justify ourselves? For Paul, it was the Jewish law. Um, But for you and I, it may be something different. It may be that you're trying to find justification by way of beauty, right? Like, once I shrink my waistline to a certain you know, level, then I will look like this and I'll get people to turn their head and then I will feel justified. I will feel worthy. I will feel valuable. It may be by way of intellect that we try, like once I can kind of hold my own in a conversation with the intelligentsia or the intellectually elite of the Silicon Valley, uh, then I'll know uh, I've arrived, then I'll feel justified, like people out there know I'm smart, and they know I'm valuable, and I can, I can hang with the big boys, or it may be that uh, it has something to do with professional success, right, so... Once I build my business, my company, even my church to a certain level, once we reach uh, a certain magnitude or, or get a certain amount of profit, whatever it may be, then I will feel justified. That's the standard that I'm trying to climb up uh, to get that sense of value and worth. It may be uh, perhaps um, your, your parenting expertise, like, the way that you feel good at the end of the day is, man, I, I, I succeeded as a parent. The way you feel like your life is worth something is, look at how my kids did today. They were so well-behaved, like perfect little angels. All the other moms saw. They all were asking, how do you do it? And I just said, yes and amen. I've arrived. You could just keep going with this, of course. Um, and we think that once we get... Uh, we get this, we climb the ladder, so to speak, that we will uh, have this sense of justification. And with that will come this idea of of peace. But that's that's not how it works. As I've said, it's more or less this bait and switch idea that what it promises us at the beginning, it ends up kind of ripping away from us at the end. Promises to give, it ends up taking. So to give you just a few of these sorts of examples, when you shrink that waistline. Let's say you succeeded. Man, you worked hard and you shrunk that waistline. You're looking good. I mean, maybe for a couple of days, right? You have that sort of sense of satisfaction and justification and peace, but then it's not long before the panic sets in. When you're craving, man, I've been on a diet for so long. Can't I just have that, you know, cupcake or chocolate bar Bowl of ice cream or, or carton of ice cream. Right? like, let me just have a cheat day. But if I have a cheat day, what's going to I'm just going to I'm just going to balloon out again. Or if I just take a few days off of this exercise routine, I know it's been working, but I'm tired. And you just realize, man, I can't maintain this. I, I thought it was going to add to me a sense of value or worth. It's just made things worse. Or maybe, you know, if it was sort of the business idea and growing your business to a certain degree, maybe it was going great. And then COVID-19 happened. And now you're going, my goodness, man. Your justification, your sense of value, it is tottering, right? On on, on a flimsy foundations. And you're thinking, what's going to be left after this? So maybe you had a few days, few weeks, a quarter of peace and excitement and a sense that you've arrived. But then all of a sudden, in just a matter of a few weeks, it's gone. You see the bait and switch of it all for for Paul, in in the text that I brought out there in Philippians three, he's ta- he's thinking, man, it's 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 my righteousness. It's my morality. It's my pedigree. I mean, God is probably looking down from heaven saying, wow, if only they could all be like you, Paul. Right. That's kind of how he's imagining things as he's kind of cruising down the road to Damascus and Jesus shows up to him and says, it is completely the opposite. Paul just flips his world on its head and he realizes, my goodness, I thought I was righteous and justified. But actually, my pursuit of that in my own strength has made me more of a sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. It made me the worst kind of sinner, full of arrogance and impatience and uh, a lack of sympathy and unloving. I mean, that's the kind of guy I was becoming because of this. And so you realize, wow, it is, it is promising this and offering something else. This is why Paul comes out and says, whatever gain I thought I had, whatever I was trying to justify myself by other than Christ, I count it as rubbish. To capture the crude in the Greek, he's saying, it's crap to me, it's crap to me. Just give me Christ. See, his eyes were open, and for a lot of us, our eyes are open, and we we can see, my goodness, forget trying to climb up some ladder, whatever that ladder may be, just give me Christ. You see, the holiness of God, the reality of God broke in and he realized, I don't have a leg to stand on. Oh, but I can fall upon Jesus. You can take everything else, but give me him and his righteousness. Let me have what he stands for and I will be okay. I I will have a justification that will not fail and therefore also a peace that will not let me down. COVID-19 or... You know, a, a, a cheat day on a diet or whatever can't change your justification in Jesus. Can't get at that. I think I referenced this maybe last week when we were talking about the resurrection and Easter and and our sense of, of, of moral shame and things. But Paul in Romans 425 says that 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 Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And what that means is that, man, when he takes all the junk, all the stuff that we wish people didn't know about, all the stuff that we try to hide, pretend isn't it, he he takes it on himself. He suffers under the wrath of God for our sin. And when he rises up from the dead, our justification is tethered to that. Your righteousness, your right standing with God is tethered to that so that what that means for you and I is it's not going anywhere. If you can get Jesus back in the grave, then you can get at my justification. But if it's true that Jesus has risen never to die again, incorruptible, then you cannot touch that which gives me value, that which gives me righteousness and justification, because it's tied to him. It's incorruptible. It's as incorruptible as he is. He died the death. I should have died, though he lived the life I should have lived. He rose up for my justification and lives to make intercession for me with his own wounds, right? Father, we paid for that one. No matter how loud the devil gets, and he's got a lot of stuff he could bring against us in the courtroom of heaven. No matter how loud the devil gets, the blood of Christ will always have a better and a louder word. It's finished. Washed, forgiven. clean. Righteous, justified. Now you tell me, if you start to think about things good, true, just, worthy of praise like that, that you are standing right now on the firm foundation of Christ's righteousness and no one can remove that from you. That it's going to end well for you because of him. That you have value because of him. Tell me what that's going to do for your peace in these moments. Is that not a step towards peace? Moving from praying to pondering. Now, let me give you uh, a third and final kind of reality, sturdy reality that uh, Paul um, brings out in uh, the book of Philippians that I think maybe is part of what's in his mind. as He says, think about these things and you'll be on your way to peace. Um, the, the third one is, is this, I'm a citizen of heaven. So not only am I wrapped up safe in in, in by God's sovereign grace, I, I uh, not only um, am I uh, counted righteous in Christ, uh, but I'm also a citizen of heaven, I'm a citizen of heaven. Now for this one, you can just lift your eyes up to the verses directly above our text in Philippians four. And now we're in uh, chapter three, verses 17 to 21. Paul here is speaking um, once more of, of where a believer should set his mind, and he also talks about where you and I shouldn't set our minds, okay? And so let's listen into this. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. Here it is with minds set on earthly things. But our citizens, so don't be like them. And then he kind of shifts and turns goes, be like this, set your minds on these sorts of things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to uh, even to subject all things to himself. So I wonder if you see the contrast, right? You got, on the one hand, those who set their mind on earthly things, uh, and we should not uh, expect that these sorts of people are going to have peace, right? They've tethered their, their heart and their hope and their peace to transient, passing, temporal realities. And therefore, uh, what will come for them is what Paul says uh, comes for the rich and those who put their hopes in, in this world when he's talking in First Timothy 6. I think it's First Timothy 6.10. He says, listen, they're going to pierce themselves with many pangs because they've tethered their heart and hope to the wrong things. It's just going to bring trouble. It's just going to be harder for them in the end. But then there are those who have their minds right set on heavenly realities. Listen, brothers and sisters, your citizenship is in heaven. That's where your mind needs to go. These are the sorts of people who who live for the things of heaven, are waiting for the return of Christ and the ushering in of the new heavens and new earth. Now, however hard for these people it may get in this life, and it will get hard, however hard it may get and it will get hard, it will end well them. They are standing on a firm foundation, sovereign grace around Jesus' righteousness imputed to them, and heaven will be their home. I think here of what Peter calls us to in 1 uh, Peter 1:13. He says this, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, set your hope fully on the things of heaven and the age to come. Don't put all your stuff here. Don't even put part of it. Here's what's always convicted me about it. That word fully there. Set your hope fully. I kind of wish he said maybe partially or even maybe mostly. I I could work with that. Like set most of my hope there, but keep some of my hope here. Because there's a lot of fun I want to have. And there's a lot of things I want to do and experience or whatever. So let me have a little bit of my hope set on this. No, he doesn't say that. He says fully. Fully. He says it's not a both and deal. It's, it's one or the other, which reminded me of what Jesus says himself in the Sermon on the Mount, part of a larger discussion. But he, he says this beginning in uh, Matthew six, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. They can't get at it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then dropping down to verse 24, he brings the same idea out of it. It's, it's an either or issue, fully or none. No one, he says, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, possessions, money, the things of this world. You have to choose. What are you going to tether your heart and hope and peace to? Heavenly realities or earthly ones? Well. Paul is calling us to, to, to consider the fact that you and I are, are citizens of heaven. And when we set our minds on those things, when we remember who we are, whose we are, and what his plan is and what he's promised, then all of a sudden we are drawn to put our hope and our heart there. That we, we, we find that our peace can be uh, stable and, and the world, moth, rust, thief, can't get. Add it so long as we even put a little bit of our hope here man, we sabotage our peace. But when we tie it to God and his word, when we ponder these things and we place our faith in them. Then, man, it is as sure as as, as like as an anchor, if you will. I'm like like the author of Hebrews says, uh, God cannot lie. He cannot do. Tell a lie. If he has said, this is what's coming. If he has said, listen, my grace is around you. My righteousness given to you. Heaven is your home. If those are the realities that God has revealed to us, we're setting our minds on them. He's saying, listen, it's sure. It's stable. You will not be let down in the end. There's this amazing um, reality, I think it's brought out in Philippians 4, 3 as well, as you just kind of keep going with this idea of of being citizens in heaven. Paul goes on to talk about how our names are, are written in the book of life. And this is the same idea Jesus mentions in Luke 10 to his disciples about names being written in heaven. And here's what it here's what just struck me. I mean we may be, we may remain strangers on this earth. We may be treated by everyone under the sun as insignificant, a, a, as a loser, as unimportant, as a nobody, but, but what Paul is trying to get us to set our minds upon is that man regardless of what they are saying or thinking, God knows your name. I mean and more than that, he's written your name uh with the blood of his son as his ink, if, it, if, if you will, in the, the, the rolls of heaven, the roll sheet of heaven. Your name is there. You are a citizen of the world to come. He is securing you for. He is preparing you for. He is, he is, is bringing you into a world of love, a world of glory, a world of peace. That's the inheritance of the Christian. That's the reward. That's the home. And that's uh, that's where we're headed. And Paul is saying, listen, if we would set our minds upon these things, man, you can't tell me, wouldn't start to experience more of God's peace. <laughs> Even if the world gives way, <laughs> it's not my home anyways. My home is secure. My name is in his book. I'm a citizen of heaven. So pray and ponder. Now we move to step number three and this idea of practice. Practice. (laughs) Um, For this, I I really think Paul identifies it, it, it especially in verse nine. Let me read that to you. Uh, He says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here we come then to the idea of practice. And now, if I'm honest with you, this is probably the hardest step of all for me. I'm decent at praying. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty good at pondering God's word, at studying and reading and thinking about the truths of his word. But what we're going to see now with this idea of practice is it's not enough just to kind of pray and ponder, we need to actually start to walk out upon these realities. These things should be changing the way that we live. They should influence how we are moving out. So maybe in your in your, you know, little, your closet space, you are praying and you are pondering the word of God. Well, that time in there should affect the way that you walk out into the family room and I guess in these days of sheltering in place, we don't go much further than the family room. But, you know, in the future, maybe as you go to the workplace, whatever, it should change the way you live on the street. And that's harder for a lot of us. But what Paul is saying is, listen, if it just stays in the closet and doesn't make its way out to the street, you are actually going to hinder your experience of the full bodied peace that God wants to give you. That part of the way you move towards the peace of God is to move in obedience on his word by faith. Step out on those realities. Live in light of them. To not do that is to almost kind of miscarry, as it were, to not carry to full term this this peace that God wants you and I to experience. But it's hard. It's easy to talk about, easy to consider and journal about, a lot harder to start having, kind of make its way into our uh, reality, our everyday life. But now, specifically, um, here, Paul is, is saying if we want peace, we need to practice what we've seen in him, right? He says, you've seen these things, you've heard, you know, whatever you've watched, I've delivered some stuff, you've seen this stuff in me, now, practice that. And so, naturally, again, we have to ask the question, well, what is he referring to? What have we seen and again, I'm always, you know, trying to stay close to the context. not just going kind to of let my thoughts flow in from wherever. I think Paul probably has in mind he's writing to the Philippians here. He's talking about the sort of stuff that that they've probably seen in him. He's talking about the way he's lived his life in this letter itself. And so as they're reading this letter and he comes to the end of it and says, now the stuff you've seen in me, <laughs> make sure you do that also. And the God of peace will be with you. I think he's just saying the stuff that I've been talking about even in this letter that that you've seen in my life. And so while there's many things I could probably bring out about Paul's life and ministry as it's um, displayed for us in the book of Philippians, there's one thing in particular I think that is especially clear that we can emulate, that I think maybe in his mind as he's calling us to to practice what he is talking about. And and that's namely this, um, his Christ-exalting, self-sacrificing, others-centered love and lifestyle. I mean, that's what we see. What we see throughout the book of Philippians is that Paul is radically others-centered. He is radically, he is willing to just pour his life out, literally, for the sake of others, not concerned or consumed with his own needs, but, but passionate about being there for the needs of others. So let me just, I mean, you, every page of this letter you see this, but let me just bring out a few places. Philippians 1.8, he writes this, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's how he opens up his letter, and it convicts me. Because he says, listen, the way that Jesus yearns for you with affection, that's how I am yearning for you right now. Have you ever been able to say that about anything in your life? I may be able to say, man, I I feel that way for me. I feel all torn up with what's going on. When I'm struggling, man, I feel it. When I'm doing well, man, I feel the joy. But have you ever felt that way for another person? Paul is saying, that's how I feel for you. I'm yearning for you with all the affection that Christ Jesus has for you. His heart is my heart. Or Philippians 1, 23 through 25, he writes this. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He says, if I could have it my way, here's what I'd like, to go be with Jesus. But then he goes on. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy In the faith, he says, listen, I'm ready. I'm wanting, if it were up to me, get me in the presence of God. Get me to Christ. I can't wait. But I want to do what he has for me more than anything. And I have the sense that he's going to keep me here for your progress, for your joy in the faith. That's what I'm going to give my life to I'm laying my life down, not for all the stuff that I want, but for you, for what would benefit you. Where he goes on, Philippians 2, 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Did you hear that? Even if my life is just this sacrifice. Um Uh, poured out for you I am glad and rejoice with you all let it be pour me out God now here's what you need to understand Paul as he's writing this letter it's amazing Uh, if you read it you'd see it Uh, he's actually imprisoned in these moments most likely in Rome uh, for the sake of the gospel, because of opposition and persecution, and yet here's what's so awesome—he's not anxious about himself in these moments, is he? He's—he's he's concerned. He's—he's he's burdened. He's anxious about them, and—and and that's the sort of irony that I, I wanted to bring out here. Um, The way that we truly experience the peace of God, ironically, is is not getting anxious about ourselves. Paul already said, don't be anxious about that. But actually getting anxious about other people. The right things. Getting anxious in love for others. You start living the other-centered life and you'll start experiencing the peace of God in your own life. So Paul, in our text, says do not be anxious about anything. But ironically, He uses that very same Greek word there earlier in Philippians 2.20 in a positive light and he commends Timothy, not because Timothy's anxious for his own needs but because he's anxious for the needs of others. So he says this, I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned, there's the word merimnao, uh, who basically, who will be genuinely anxious for your welfare. if you're going to be anxious, be anxious for others and then you'll know the peace of God. Be like Timothy or in a letter he wrote to the Corinthian church when he's talking about what a healthy body is like. How a healthy body functions in the church when we're many members. He says this, the members should have the same care. That word care is the same Greek word, merimna'o. anxiety. We should have the same anxiety for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You see this? He's saying, listen, the the, the way to, to live uh, and to press towards the peace of God is actually to be anxious, ironically, for others in love. To to stop with the caving in on yourself and start moving towards the needs and the well-being of others in your life. I don't think it's very hard to see how all of this stuff fits together, um, how our praying and our pondering will lead to this sort of lifestyle, this other-centered lifestyle in practice. Think about it. If we're praying about our anxieties and the things that are burdening us, we're talking to God about it. We're dumping those things on Him, right? He's listening in and caring. And he moves us towards some of these stable realities like, man, we're wrapped up in in sovereign grace. We're safe. Uh, We're counted righteous, justified in Jesus. We're citizens of heaven. We're pondering that stuff and our minds kind of soaking on that. Our hearts are kind of settling in there. Well, then, gosh, doesn't it just make sense that if we know he hears me, he's got me, I can move out in my life with concern now and anxiety, not for my own needs and well-being, but for yours. He cuts uh, the tie, as it were, to ourself in that way because he's got us, and now we are free to think about Others, this is really the final step in this pathway to peace. It's the full range of motion that God is trying to work out in our lives. And it just makes sense that we do these things and the God of peace will be with us because for goodness sake, the son of God, the prince of peace, this is how he lived his life, is it not? He poured himself out. Poured his blood out, literally became the drink offering, if you will, for the sake, for the benefit of others, for the salvation of you and me. So I know that putting this stuff into practice, <laughs> it has become probably especially hard given the coronavirus pandemic, right? This is challenging. If ever there was a time we're prone to cave in on ourselves and think about our needs, it would be now. But Paul, Jesus, myself, we're calling, uh, they're calling us uh, right now to step out, And to move towards others, not just sit in our Bible studies or our prayer closets, but to start thinking about others, stepping out on the water, if you will, stepping out of the boat with Peter into the rush of this sort of lifestyle. So I don't know what that might look like for you to just take some steps. It might look like asking Jill to print out some neighborhood care cards for you and go distribute those around your neighborhood. It might look like uh, joining the Nextdoor app and maybe reaching out to your neighbors and asking if there's anything you can do to help or serve. It might look like instead of storing, you know, your cash under your mattress in your bed, getting ready for the apocalypse, you you instead decide to use that uh, for those that are maybe in more need than you are. It may mean that right now in this time where we're quarantined and sheltering in place, instead of just kind of caving in with your own stuff, you actually reach out to another person and ask how they're doing with a text or an email or a phone call. How can I be praying? You're on my heart. I'm telling you as you as you start to run in those lanes that we know our savior is running in <laughs> you uh, should not be surprised that then you experience more of his peace that we experience more of his peace in our lives this is the pathway to peace let's get on it mercy hill let's start walking it together would you pray with me God thank you for this morning Thank you that you've given us clear steps forward towards your peace. God, we want more of that. Uh, Lord, we need your help. We need you to be with us every step of the way. and We know that you are. So thank you, God. And we pray that even through the course of this morning, uh, in the course of this message, people already are experiencing, wow, you've taken me from a place of anxiety and you've started to give me more of, of, of your peace Thank you, God. It's in your name uh, that we've met. Uh, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And with that, uh, Mercy Hill, I just would invite you to uh, respond to the Lord in various ways. You'll find on the worship guide that's in the notes tab of the, um, the online platform there. Uh, different songs that we recommend and ways that you can ask for prayer or also uh, ways that you can give. And then I'd invite you to come uh, check out the after party with me. I'll be in there uh, basically starting right now. I'll just be looking to connect with you. Uh, Here's some of the ways we can be praying, maybe gather some questions and thoughts, and then we'll just uh, spend time in prayer together. But I hope to see you there. Bless you all.